from the heart, I want to know how we can impact things. Text the word EIR2040 to 41411. Take 30 seconds. Respond to the micro survey because it is truly about letting us know how to better help you. That's Thomas K.R. Stovall. He's the founder of Candid Cup Microfeedback. He is the master at asking single questions and getting data-driven feedback. Here's a quick snapshot of what his startup does. We are a microfeedback company. We can turn any room into an instant focus group in about 60 seconds using one-question microsurveys. I am the entrepreneur in residence for 1871 Chicago. You're listening to Techpreneurs, a podcast about stories of tech entrepreneurs. My name is Clark Buckner. This episode highlights Thomas K. R. Stovall with his story, how he's growing his startup, and also how he frequently collaborates in his community by bringing people together. 1871 Chicago has previously been a significant partner to him already, but here you'll learn how he's taking it all to the next level. 1871 has been a great support. It's the reason why the events that I've been doing have have been relevant and, and why they've grown so quickly. And I think with the Code 2040 entrepreneur in residence position, I'll be able to just kind of amplify that platform. So it's one thing for Thomas Stovall in Chicago, one person who's kind of organizing this thing and caring about the community. It's a different situation when you've got Google behind you, when you've got Code 2040 behind you, when you've got an entire nation watching what you're doing and wanting to invest in it. And there's six other people that all are invested in the same vision in different cities. And we get to work together now. We get to leverage resources now. Uh, It's a phenomenal opportunity, and I'm very excited about it. We're happy to bring you these stories with the support of the Nashville Entrepreneur Center, one of the Google for Entrepreneurs tech hubs. I could not be more excited to have you right here with me. I hope you subscribe. Visit techpreneurs.co or simply just search techpreneurs anywhere you download podcasts. Thomas starts things off here with what his team does and why it matters. Enjoy. So what we do is, whether it's a room of 500 people or 5,000, we use one-question microsurveys to really get an instant beat on what people have to say really quick. So it works with autoresponders, so you literally text a keyword like EIR2040 to 41411, and you'll get a one-question microsurvey delivered back to your device in less than 10 seconds, and you can you know instantly quantify what people think, what's working, what's not. So we do that at live events. We do that in physical environments by integrating microsurveys into the bottom of dinner plates and cocktail glasses, coasters, napkins. Literally, we can track buses, trains, planes, anywhere in the world down to the second. Wow. So you were saying you can like hide these in places too? Yeah. We integrate them into environments. So if you're driving down the street, you might see a, a banner with a microsurvey about road construction. You're walking down the sidewalk in your, in your community. You see a banner on a building. How do you feel about this new construction project in your neighborhood? So it's literally for transportation. It's for government. It's for businesses. Anybody who needs to know what people who they they work with or do business with think. And that's pretty much everybody. And it's a text, right? It can be. Uh, We can use QR code. We can use text message. You can go directly to a URL. A micro survey is, is online. It's a URL that, you know, tracks feedback. It's a one question survey, 140 characters or less. And how we get people to that URL, we use text autoresponders, QR codes, different mechanisms. What do you think would be a good question we can use for this podcast? Just like a short little uh, way to explore this, because this will help me understand it even more. Well, I think the question is already set up. But the question that I asked is, in terms of impacting black and Latino 
participation in, in their local business communities, number one, do you know what the resources are? And number two, what resources do you need? So right. the first part of the question really quantifies whether or not people know how to get at the resource, because we know there are some out there. And the second part of the question really seems to, what really finds out what they think they need. All right, so right now, get your phone, right? Mm-hmm. And can you get that number one more, t- the, the, the keyword in the text and the, yeah. the number? You're gonna text the word EIR2040, like Entrepreneur in Residence Code 2040, text EIR2040 to 41411. You'll get a one question micro survey back on your phone and take 30 seconds and let us know how we can help. So what does it look like when you really zoom it all out and you can really specifically look at those outcomes? What what do the outcomes look like and why do they matter? So I can tell you about one in particular. Uh, there's a, an organization called Diageo. They're the, the largest manufacturer of premium wine, beer, and spirits on the globe. And they do really, really large events. And one in particular, two in particular, were the National Black NBA Conference in Orlando and the National Society of Hispanic MBA Conference in Chicago. And they spend a a very significant chunk of change on these events. There's no way to quantify ROI. And they've done this several years, and they hired us this year because they wanted to find out, look, are these valuable for us? We have no clue. There's no way for us to get feedback from the people in the room. We're talking about 600, 800 people in a few-hour time span. Do they care that we're doing this? And so what we did in Orlando was we were able to get them using micro surveys and micro survey cards literally on site in one hour. We averaged one micro survey response per minute for an hour with all the people that were in the room at that event. And we found out what the narrative was about Diageo. And mostly we found out that they loved the event, but they didn't necessarily know who the brand was. And so that informed us going to the second event in Chicago with the National Society of Hispanic MBAs at that event we actually did a second, a different micro survey question. So same kind of engagement, but the question that we asked, we use a context statement first. And so the context statement was, Diageo's the largest manufacturer of premium wine, beer, and spirits on the globe, but what matters is who do you say we are? And so what we found out from the 100 plus responses in a three hour time period in that 600 person room was that only two people out of the 100 used any other words, largest, manufacturer, premium wine, beer, spirits, or globe in their responses. But what they did say is, Diageo to me means family. It means life. It means culture. It means fun. It was 96% positive feedback, but nobody used any of the narratives that Diageo uses to describe its brand. And so the opportunity there is to find out literally by region, by city, what the narrative is about your brand and start to have your sales materials and uh, your advertising literally match the narrative that the consumer already has about you. So we're able to uncover that. Wow. What surprises you the most when you do these micro surveys? Is it the brand connection that consumers or a customer has, or is it something else, or is it it everything? What What else has really surprised you about the outcomes from Candid Cup? I think one of the things that's been really interesting to watch is no two rooms are the same. So anything that you would expect to get, you know, people say, what can you get from one question? Well, when you ask one question to a room full of people and get an immediate response, you find out some really interesting things because you're, you're getting two, three, four hundred different viewpoints on this one highly targeted thing. And so in aggregate, 
you actually get a really good view of the of the whole experience because people say what they're thinking, but they also are going to give you a bunch of feedback about other areas, too. So they'll answer the question, but they're, they give you more. And so that more ends up painting a really clear picture of the entire experience. And that's that's been I didn't expect that when I created this software. I thought it was going to answer one question really well. I didn't expect all the peripheral information that would come. And that's been really interesting to watch. So that was in the context of a conference, of an event. So how else have you found that you can use microsurveys? Right. So what's been really interesting for us is seeing all the different use cases that uh, that people are interested in exploring. Faith-based organizations have reached out. We're in conversations with city leaders in different cities, transportation companies. We can track feedback literally down to the bus level, every bus, every bus station, every bus stop, every train, every train station, down to the second feedback. And in our OmniView dashboard on the back end, there might be thousands of micro surveys that you've got uh, spread across your entire enterprise and you can monitor them literally like an alarm system. You select the two or three that you're interested in right now and you've got a little micro feedback stream right there on the screen that you can see the feedback coming in in real time trending analytics around it, what the keywords are. So what's the prevailing narrative that people are, the, the words that people are using. So it's really interesting stuff that we can, we can integrate it literally into any environment, physical environments or digital radio shows. <laughs> yeah. What's been the, and this might be off topic, but what's been the weirdest or most unique way that you've hidden a micro survey somewhere? We've done things where we've integrated micro surveys into the bottom of dinner plates and literally you get to the, the last bite and there's a little micro survey that says, well, we, if you can see this, we assume that the food was pretty good. But just in case, take 30 seconds and let us know. And so that stuff like that is, is really cool. That seems more meaningful than uh, most of the fortune cookies when you open those up. That, that's what they should really do. Absolutely. That's real cool. OK, so I want to hear about your story a little bit. So we talk about your business. Now, let's rewind it back to... 19-year-old Thomas K.R. Stovall and talk about how your entrepreneurial journey began. So when I was 19, I, I did an internship, a U.S. sales internship at a, a global company and got an opportunity to travel all over the country. I, I stayed in my first five-star hotel and, and ate my first porterhouse steak. It's a wonderful experience. And up until that, that moment, I, I'd majored in engineering and got my degree in engineering. Didn't really see myself as a business guy. And that was my first experience. So I thought, you know, this corporate thing, I, I might be able to do it. And so I interned again that second summer and the experience was good. But there was a moment that shifted everything um, in a boardroom. There's 15 people in there. Most of them are, are middle aged uh, Caucasian men, which is fine. You know, I'm the only uh, intern in the room and the only black black guy in the room. And they're deciding who they're going to hire for this new position. It's a relocation that comes with a thirty thousand dollar bonus. And so. They put the first guy's name up on the whiteboard. We'll call him Jackson. And they say, okay, what do you guys think about Jackson? And, you know, nobody really raises their hand. One guy kind of says, ah, you know, I had a few conversations with him. I, I don't think he's our guy. You know, I've, I've, I've talked to him, and I believe that, that he's a, a newlywed, and him and his wife might be trying for a baby. Don't think that he's going to be the guy to move. And I'm thinking, you don't think? You you. You're not sure you just so so they take Jackson's name off the list. He's done. And so the second guy's name on it goes on the list. We're going to call him Johnson. And so uh, they say, OK, who, who knows something about Johnson? Uh, you know, I've, I've, I've had some some interactions with him. 
And in terms of the the way he communicates, I just uh, some some about him just I don't think he's the right person for this leadership position. And just like that, he's off the list. You got one guy who didn't didn't like Johnson and he's done. And it goes on like this until a name goes on the board that in general, everybody has a few nice things to say about him. And I guess he's not planning on having any babies anytime soon. And He gets the promotion. And I was floored that this was the way that somebody was chosen for a position. And as we're walking out of that office, I asked my boss, I said, listen, are, are these other guys ever going to know that they were actually up for this promotion? No. And in that moment, I knew I was never going to work in corporate America. I'm six foot three. I have a goatee. I could hover over somebody wrong in the elevator and that's it. So okay. uh, I just decided I was going to start. I like business. I'd start my own business and. At the time, I loved wheels and, and performance tires, and I thought, well, I, I can go back to college and sell this stuff, write it off at the end of the year, and that'll be awesome. So that's how I started in business. I love that. So that that's a big turning point. And a couple of years later, you find yourself in real estate, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, you're so you're 25. So 20, walk me through this. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I uh, finished in school. I did the the custom wheel and performance tire business all through school. Sold wheels from New York to L.A. online, and graduated with with my engineering degree. I did that. For, I continued doing my wheel business for a couple of years after school. Never worked in engineering. And when I was 25, went out to L.A. and got an opportunity to work really closely with a real estate private equity investment firm. And they purchased real estate in San Bernardino, L.A. and Riverside counties. And so I'm 25, standing on the auction floor, uh, holding seven-figure checks, buying three, four properties a week. I'm, I'm in the boardroom helping to prepare presentations for multi-billion dollar investment firms we approach for mezzanine capital. I am, you know, at the construction site seeing how these properties were, were, were uh, the projects were managed with the contractors. And, you know, eventually I was also at the closing table watching how, you know, the, the properties got sold at the end to first-time homebuyers and investors. I saw the whole thing. And I saw really there were rooms that, that I got to sit in that you just don't even know exist. And you don't get invited into those rooms unless somebody already in the room says, you know what, this is a good guy. He should, he should be in this conversation. And mostly... If you get invited into the room, you're already in. You, you, the deal is it's yours. It's yours to mess up. And so the, the way that the conversations went, the first 30 minutes, there was no business being talked. It's just kind of shooting the breeze and checking each other out. And that wasn't what I was used to. I always thought you get in there and you start, you know, you start doing business and you start negotiating. There was no business. It was all just personal relationship. And at the end of the deal, the end of the conversation, 15, 20 minutes, talking about terms after everybody, you know, we've talked about golf and where you vacation and everybody likes each other in general and who do we know in common. And then it's just figuring out the, the general terms, pass it off to the attorney and it's done. I didn't know that's the way the business moved. And so I left that experience realizing that it's about relationship and that is all that, you know, that really makes business move. Everybody's competent, right? And, and a lot of us are exceptional. That doesn't get you in the room. Relationship gets you in the room. Wow. Now, you took this experience. I, I want to come back to that whole mm-hmm. concept of relationships. I know that's a really big part of what Code Twenty Forty is doing with building meaningful relationships from the very beginning. So, when we fast forward now a bit more, you're you're now you're thirty, right? And there's uh, tell me a little bit about how the real estate how that grew mm-hmm. over the next five years. Okay, so I worked with that private equity investment firm for just under a year. Then I came back to Chicago. 
And in the span of about 18 months, I went from $3,000 of my personal savings and built my own real estate investment firm to seven figures in 18 months and, you know, did really well. Got a portfolio of several, several million dollars worth of real estate. Never lost money on a deal, but the things I didn't know about scaling the business, about uh, managing uh, contractors, about really growing a team, you know, the details, that's where I, where I really dropped the ball. So by the time I was 30, we were paying out somewhere in the neighborhood of about 25 grand cash into this black hole of real estate that uh, popped up because there was a, there were a lot of drop balls that kind of snowballed over time. And so I found myself in a position where I'm 30 years old and I'm literally having to close the doors of my business, start over, no credit, no money in the bank, embarrassed, friends asking me, you know, what's going on and I've lost my personal residence, all of it. And uh, that's, that's the place that I started candid from, not right away, because there was a there was a little, little bit of um, of darkness that you got, you got to walk through. You got to kind of find yourself after you you lose that much, but uh, that's that's where I started. Wow. So now with the Cannon Cup, this and we, we we did the great demo earlier, so we kind of have an idea of how this works. So now you've been doing that for a few years, mm-hmm. and you've also been doing, and this kind of touches back to what you said a moment ago about relationships and it's all about relationships and something you're really great at doing is bringing together people and you have an event series called black and tech Mm -hmm. and i'd love to hear more about the event series and also kind of um how you're bringing that into your eir role Mm -hmm. at 1871 for me the black and tech event series is an opportunity to take a, a blueprint that i've been shown for launching businesses. I've, I've learned from great mentors over the years. And, you know, it's an opportunity to bring in founders from all over the country who've raised and generated millions of dollars. They, the founders that have been on our stage for the founder series have uh, done $35 million of, of business. They're people who you've heard of. If you Google them, you know, nationally recognized and they come in, they share their stories to 200 people at 1871 per quarter. It's the largest technology panel in the Midwest for founders of color. And and so, you know, it, it's an opportunity for people who just don't really know how to build to see somebody who they would think is totally out of their league. And by the end of the conversation, they realize, wow, this, this guy's just like me. He didn't have much when he started. He just used what he had and built what he built and then took that one milestone and turned it into two. And it's a very vulnerable panel. And I think that's why it works. And people, they, they take that and they actually go and build something. And you also have, and this is newer, and it's, still, and it's still being rolled out and everything, but there's also some new things that are kind of related to this too, right? Yeah, so Black & Tech is, is, is one part of a, of a bigger puzzle. You know, if you really look at what's going to level the playing field, in my opinion, for entrepreneurs of color, there's really five pieces to it. Number one, we've got to close the foundational knowledge gap in business. You know, there's a lot of very passionate, well-intended entrepreneurs I meet that just don't know how to transact. They don't know how to get to contract. And so that first piece, you know, we got to close the knowledge gap. Number two, we really have to create consistent access to capital. And so what that means is having a community of early stage investors that are willing to put money behind emerging technology companies run by founders of color, And we know these people by name. They're actively looking at our deals. They do cut checks because we bring a vetted community of entrepreneurs with traction. 
and you know they have their business uh, together, they have their paperwork together. That's number two. Number three is you have to have opportunity sourcing. And on the other side of that, you have to leverage relationships with people who are centers of influence. Opportunity sourcing to me means having a minimum of five corporate partners at the table who are willing to commit with a a name on the dotted line and say, you know what, we're willing to take $5,000 every quarter and invest in two small companies, give them a contract, we're going to cut out all the red tape, and we're going to give them a 90-day beta trial, put them in a dark department somewhere where nobody has to see, and we're going to give them a shot. And if they can produce outcomes that make a difference for us, then we're going to help them expand from that one department to two to five and then regionally. If it doesn't work out, you know what? It was a great opportunity for them to learn. And we did some community service. We invested in diversity. We invested in this community. And, you know, we feel good about it. It's, it's some great press for them. And it's an opportunity for them to be an innovation forward company. And so that's number three. Number four, live events. Live events are where people come together, they look each other in the eye, and they say, you know what, I like this person. You know, I didn't, I didn't know what they did before, but I really feel good about what they're doing. I want to learn more. I want to get involved. And it's where trust begins to form over time. It's where narratives around community begin to submit. And you need a, con- a consistent cadence of those live events for people to plug in and feel like they're a part of something. And the last piece is you need to have a, a, a platform that ties all those things together. And uh, that platform is where you can go and see pictures, you can see video, you can have access to profiles that you can search founders by city, by state, by industry, by whether they're men or women and black or white or everything else. It's literally where you can find other founders that are gender diverse, ethnically diverse, and come from non-traditional backgrounds. It's where the media can find you, it's where investors can find you, and that doesn't exist for people who've been marginalized and people of color in technology. Uh, and so that's what Tech Launch Party is. Tech Launch Party. And as you mentioned earlier, Black in Tech, it's just one piece of Tech Launch Party's grand vision. Yeah, right? it, would be, it would be part of that. So, so an event series. So those live events, Black in Tech is, a, is an event series. Tech Launch Party right. will have multiple event series that cover different, different things. Wow. That's really exciting. So as we're starting to wrap up a little bit now, these things that you're you've been creating it already has momentum it already has validation you're bringing this into 1871 as mm-hmm. an entrepreneur in residence so how do you anticipate some of the things you've already been doing but now having access to code 24 i know you've been following code 2040 mm-hmm. for a long time because you've been doing really similar things and also with the google for entrepreneurs network what are some of the things that you're anticipating you, that's in your 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 site up ahead with diversifying tech in your community? Well, I think that 1871 has been a great support uh, so far. It's, it's the reason why the events that I've been doing have, have been relevant and, and why they've grown so quickly. And I think with the Code 2040 entrepreneur residence position, I'll be able to just kind of amplify that platform. So it's one thing for Thomas Stovall in Chicago, one person who's kind of organizing this thing and caring about the community it's a different situation when you've got Google behind you, when you've got code 2040 behind you, when you've got an entire nation watching what you're doing and wanting to invest in it. And there's seven other people, six other people that all are invested in the same vision in different cities. And we get to work together. Now we get to leverage resources. Now Uh, it's a phenomenal opportunity and I'm very excited about it. 
I really appreciate you coming in and sharing your thoughts. I would love to, if there's anything else on your heart, um, you know, you have anything else that you want to share? I just want to say that I think the fastest way for us to really, really make impact is collaboration. The thing that I want to leave behind from my one year as being the entrepreneur in residence for Chicago is creating collaborations literally with every single organization in the city that is doing something, leading initiatives, leading programs for people of color and technology. There is no reason for us to be in silos. We all got to be working together and we need to know what each other's goals are. And so, you know, when you do that city by city, state by state, I think that's the way to make the fastest impact as opposed to everybody working in silos. Collaboration, relationship, that's how we get there. I love it. Well, how about this? Let's, uh, that is such a great way to end this. And so how can someone follow along and learn more about, of course, Canicup, your business, and also what you're doing in Chicago and at 1871? The best way to follow up, if you want to reach me directly, Give me an email, thomas at candidcup.com. I'm very responsive. You spell candidcup. C-A-N-D-I-D-C-U-P.com. And with the Black and Tech event series, we're very responsive. We have people all over the world that uh, reach out to us. We're at I'm Black and Tech on Twitter, Instagram, on Facebook, as well as on Periscope. And last but not least, do me a favor. From the heart, I want to know how we can how we can impact things. Text the word EIR2040 to 41411. Take 30 seconds. Respond to the micro survey because it is truly about letting us know how to better help you. I love it so much. I'm so excited about what you're doing. I, I really appreciate you sharing your story and sharing the work you're doing. And I can't wait to continue to follow along. And I can't wait to text that too. Thank you, man. I'm, I'm honored to be here. I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for listening. This season of Techpreneurs is powered by the Nashville Entrepreneur Center in support of the Google for Entrepreneurs Tech Hub Network. Find out more about the EC and how to become a member at ec.co. To learn more about Code 2040 and how to apply to be an entrepreneur in residence, head on over to code2040.org entrepreneurs. We hope you'll join us next week when we talk to Marcos Cunha, founder and CEO of UROAM. He is the entrepreneur in residence at Capital Factory in Austin, Texas. It, it may feel like you're taking a chance by hiring uh, a minority student or a, a minority because maybe they don't look like you, they don't talk like you. But trust me and trust the numbers and trust any, everything that you read about the importance of having that minority person in your team, the way they'll help you think differently, they'll help you understand such a huge portion of the population they'll they'll bring in a, a whole different mindset to how you should launch how you should uh, design so it's a critically important thing thanks again and we'll see you soon on another episode of techpreneurs